much drama in that countdown, don't you think? Oh, so yeah. Dramatic. It ran right around 20. It's like, and slows down on you. It's so weird. That one I mean, kind of I, I like talked, it was a remix. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to Streamlabs about it, but it gives us a sense of gravitas, don't you think? Like, we're a history podcast, but like, we're not like one of those like history podcasts, you know? Like, we're kind of dicking around a little bit. I don't want that sort of responsibility. Nobody no, should no, be learning anything from me. We are not gatekeepers of history. We're just here to have a little bit of fun with idiots. That's that's <laughs> what we are. Uh, hello, everybody. And welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we travel back through all of human history and find you examples of gargantuan stupidity, which hopefully you can take lessons from and never repeat the mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. Mistakes are fun as fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I, I'm doing really good. Things are things are going well. That's um, good. Yeah. A bunch <laughs> of stuff happening like in the last couple of weeks with you, which is which is great and kind of reacclimatizing, stuff's getting in line. I really love to hear that. So Yeah, it's we've been we've been making some good moves and I'm yeah. liking the the direction we're headed. So it's yeah. yeah. Actually we were talking <laughs> about you? cars just before this podcast. I I, I know oh, this is God. like God, I would the one thing I'd love, and I've looked into it so much recently, I, I want an electric car. Me too. Ooh, you know? So bad. Really badly. There was a, a video I watched. A Toasterzoid's here. Who's on the chopping block today? We will tell you in a minute, sir. We're just having a quick catch-up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you could. we could easily install like the charging points in front of our house because our cars are parked like, directly in front of the house, and it'd be very easy to sort that out. But like, I kind of want one just... I, I don't know why it feels like it's going to be a good thing, but also like my mother got a hybrid recently, a hybrid four by four. She spends less on fuel than I do in my like 900 CC little car. <laughs> so <laughs> at this point I'm like, this is stupid. I, I need to get an electric car, but they're so expensive. Even secondhand ones are like thousands upon thousands of pounds, which you just don't yeah. have at the moment. I was trying to pick up one of those Nissan Leafs and then all of a sudden the price yeah. just started going up and up and up. And I imagine it's crazy. crazy something to do with the crazy fuel prices i would imagine so and like the stock is quite low at the moment because people are just not getting rid of them they're just hanging on to them forever but um so there's, there's a video you can uh find online i would recommend looking for it um it's an entirely off-grid electric car designed by i think it's a dutch company it's quite a big car um but you do not have to charge it it has multiple solar panels on the roof the side comes out oh no it's a camper van not a car i beg your pardon so you never ever have to charge it everything runs off the solar panels that's brilliant yeah that's awesome right and there. on a full charge it has a 600 kilometer range not like 100 miles down the road 600 kilometers so about 450 miles on one charge and then you wow. stop takes three days to charge it but obviously it's a camper van so you would drive 450 miles to wherever you're staying charge it up over three days and then you can whistle about and do what you want take your camper van with you it's just amazing i was like i want that and then they were like it cost half a million euros to develop i'm like oh okay maybe not that one <laughs> so, i think in our lifetime we'll see oh, self-charging yeah. solar cars for sure it has but... to be like self-charging cars the idea that we're not using friction when we're traveling with cars, like, why aren't we doing that? That's such a basic thing. Like, kids' bikes do that to charge lights. Why aren't we doing that with cars? You yeah. Know? So, anyway, sorry, away from electric cars. Um, <laughs> any of you listening in the UK, I hope you're okay, Toasterzoid. I don't know um, 
does Derek do voice acting because he sounds very familiar? Uh, Derek, you you've done voice stuff in the past, right? I have done some things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I well, I did that one the podcast comedy that I wrote and that's made. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I was in that one, the yeah. Adventures in College Safety, and then some other random things yeah. here and there. I think it, like, <laughs> with me, it's the same thing with me as well. It's like a bit of a side hustle. And, uh, you know, you do it for fun. Occasionally you can get paid if you know the right people. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Anyway, people in the UK, I hope you're coping okay. We're currently in the middle of the worst heat wave in 30 years, which is like quite intense i hope you're coping okay one advice i heard from uh, an australian doctor was to wet but if you don't have aircon of course which nobody in the uk has aircon uh get a bunch of towels uh wet them and then roll them up put them inside plastic bags put them in your fridge or freezer and uh that's what tennis players do apparently they uh Brilliant. then you can just like wrap them around you you know and then just swap them out like just keep changing towels and stuff yeah. so that might help if you've got pets or, or kids that are just overheating so yeah that's yeah my two well, cents there. and is it is it humid there or is it yes dry oh god there? it's humid like it's not dry i wish it was dry it's like like 60 70 percent humidity it's it's crazy man it's like a swamp uh last year in washington state we got a heat wave of 100 degrees that is crazy for yeah the i heard there northwest Northeast. I heard their streets were buckling and stuff because it yeah. was so sustained up there. That's that's just it is a bit mad, really. That kind of heat. Um, although uh, the good thing about this heat is it gives me an opportunity to kit back with a massive drink. I'll just show you my massive, massive drink. There you go. Like, yeah, there you go. And uh, <laughs> hear about Derek's idiot for this week. Derek, who have you got for us this week? Well, you know, I like to cover people that use religion in bad ways and yes. the dude that i have for you today did just that and it got a lot of people killed as a direct result but... and then a hell a bunch of more people killed as an indirect result oh my so, god wow um, okay hit me with it i can't wait to hear this one so he's he was born vernon wayne howell on august 17th 1959 in houston texas right his mother bonnie sue was just 14 years old when she brought him into the world and she did Whoa. it alone Oh, no. His his dad, Bobby, uh, who was 20 years old at the time, hmm, uh, met mm. another teenage girl and abandoned Bonnie and Vernon before he was born. Just That's awful. Ran off with another teenager, which is weird enough in itself. Yeah. Um, so she's alone. She's looking for help and starts living with a man who unfortunately was a, a violent alcoholic. Oh, no. Um, Seeing that things weren't going well uh, in 1963, at just four years old, she left Vernon with her uh, mother, uh, right. Earlene Clark. Okay. Her mother was a big time member of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, Adventist okay. Church, yeah. and that kind of got him into the the religion. Yeah. And then Bonnie Sue came back into his life in 1966, shows up married with a new dude and okay. a brand new son. <laughs> oh, so shit. in essence, Bonnie left Vernon, went and got her shit together and then hmm. came back and off they go. And he started school. Wow. And due to the abusiveness and the abandonment issues and a little bit of dyslexia and some serious 
study habits that were not good. Yeah, <laughs> that's Texas. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's Texas for you. He got put into special education classes and kind of made fun of and had a difficult time adjusting with kids. He mm. has described his childhood as a lonely one. Oh, no. By his junior year, he dropped out of high school and took a job working as a carpenter. In 1978, when he was 19 years old, he began an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl and got her pregnant. How old was he at this point? 75? Uh, let's see. He was born in 59 to 78. Oh, okay. So he would have been 16. 19. He's 19. 19, sorry. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. there we go. I, I have it written right here, yet I'm yeah. still trying to do math. <laughs> sorry <laughs> um so what do you think he does he's 19 knocks up a 15 year old i i mean if history is repeating itself to the extent it has so far he's running off right yep he takes off goes to mm. la tries to make it as a rock star so pulls that <laughs> like know. father like son thing oh that's such a and... 19 year old thing to do i'm gonna be a star <laughs> yep <He just> fucks <laughs> off <laughs> so um History repeats itself, the cycle of abuse and abandonment. It didn't work out for him in L.A., so he headed back to Texas. And mm. rather than try to reinsert himself in the pregnant 15-year-old life, he claimed to become a born-again Christian, joined up with the Davidian sect of the Seventh-day Adventist church, where oh. he met and became infatuated with the pastor's daughter. Okay. Right. And then, um, <clears throat> geez, I lost, I lost where I was. How did That's that work? Oh yeah. Okay. So, so before he tries to run off with the pastor's daughter, he decides he's going to pray for some guidance. And while right. he was doing that, he claims that he opened his eyes and a Bible was open in front of him to the passage, Isaiah 34, 16, which reads none should want for her mate. And he took that as a sign from God, obviously that he needs to hit up the pastor and share his feelings for him, and that God wants him to have his daughter for his wife. Okay. Luckily, the pastor was like, no. No, where's my shotgun? Yeah, and they kind of butted heads for a while. Well, when he yeah. continued to pursue the daughter, the pastor expelled him from the congregation and kind mm -hmm. of ostracized him a little bit. Sure. And that's when Vernon moved to a little town called Waco, Texas, where... Uh, okay. <laughs> I think I know we're, who we're talking about now. Yes, sir. You probably do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he meets up with the Branch Davidians, which is a sect branch off of the Davidian. It's it's a branch, but not related to the Davidian Seven Day Adventist Church. Which yeah, did they think that they were directly descended from King David? Is that right? Or um, like that? it's is that why they call the Davidians? Uh, I'll get into that in a minute. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So. He, he meets up with the Branch Davidians and he uses his L.A. rock star talents and starts playing guitar and singing for the church services. And just for shits and giggles, I imagine. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he starts a sexual affair with the widowed older prophetess. Uh, yes. Lois Roden, who was 60 years old at the time. So, whoa, wild swing from 15 to 60. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1983, he starts claiming that he's got the gift of prophecy and he starts yeah. pushing for power within the Branch Davidians. 
And eventually he claims that God chose him to father a child with Lois who would be the chosen one. Okay. She was sort of into the idea, I guess, because she <laughs> began to let him teach his his uh, beliefs. Okay. Every time I change the page, it loses me. I don't know how to work word. <laughs> Damn it, word. Sorry. You've been around uh, forever. <laughs> she she starts letting him teach his own message called the serpent's root, which causes yeah. controversy. And then he starts button heads with her son, George, who felt like he was going to be the, the group's next leader. Right. So he's I, I remember this part like George is no saint. But at the same time, he's like, there's something fucking fishy and weird going on here. Don't yep. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. In 1984, Vernon announced that God instructed him to marry Rachel Jones, who was right. another teenage bride. He, I guess, wanted to take the pressure off himself with George by leaving his mom alone and so. banging and marrying another teenager. It, it, like you say, if God told him, was God speaking to him through his genitals? I, in possibly. With a lot of this, really. It, it very well could be. It's yeah. like... Uh, Anyway, so <laughs> tensions kind of get uh, lessened for a little while because he wandered off and he married that the the bride. But then there was a fire that destroyed an administration building. And oh, yeah. George said it was Vernon's fault. He said he started the, the fire and mm. Vernon said no man set the fire. That was a judgment of God. Yeah. Fire is going to be a big theme of this episode. And it seems that it happens quite a lot, suspiciously for a bunch of wooden structures in the middle of the desert right yep that is the thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> so after this fire Roden's claiming that he's got the support of most of the 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 cult the yep. branch davidians and he forced oh, yeah, the <laughs> he forced vernon off of the property he's still going by vernon at this time right. and he leaves with his group and they head out to eastern texas for a little while mm -hmm. and they live in some just garbage conditions in buses and tents for two years wow during that time he's going real hardcore into recruitment and and getting new followers across the globe he's also travels to israel where he claims that he has a vision that he is the modern day cyrus helpful yeah it's good so, that he has these visions at these opportune times isn't it exactly yeah. From there, in 1987, a handful of him go back as the modern-day Cyrus, mm -hmm. and they're heavily armed, and they end up getting into a shootout with George Roden, Jeez. who survived, and then Vernon and his group were tried for... Uh, where in the hell did it go? <laughs> Every time I change the page, I'm sorry. Damn it, Wade. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, where... I don't know why this. Oh, so, yeah. So they show up trying to uncover evidence of criminal disturbances of a corpse. And yeah, during that process, George shoots at them. They shoot at him. They hit him. He lives. They're charged with attempted murder, but acquitted. And then Vernon is also charged, but it ends in a mistrial. Either way, they get off. Yeah. And in 1989, uh, George murders uh, a dude by the name Wayman Dale Adair with an axe to his head. Shit. Uh, because Adair stated he believed himself to be the true Messiah. Oh, so there's a little like, bit of a... Messiah. Can't have two Messiahs in this town. Sorry. 
It's one Messiah branch. We're all messiah um, up. Uh, so that that he George claimed that the man was actually sent by Vernon to kill him. And right. during this trial, George Roden was judged insane and confined to a psychiatric hospital in Big Spring. I mean, that that could have been any of them at this point. I would think. No offense. Well, now, while they were all doing their thing at the Mount Carmel Center, nobody was paying any taxes. So when Roden goes and fucks off to the psychiatric place, yeah, they come in and seize it, and then Vernon and them are able to reclaim the property by catching up the taxes. And then once back there, they, I guess, found that George was renting to some folks at they had left behind a meth lab. Oh, yeah. And then George continued to harass them and file legal papers and maybe narc that there was a meth lab there. <laughs> that he um, knew about. So, And then for some reason, Vernon decides that he's going to petition to legally change his name in 1990, saying it's for publicity and business purposes. Sure. And then on August 28th, 1990, a judge granted that position and Vernon Wayne Howell became the man known to the world as David Koresh. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. He chose the name Koresh for its biblical name of Cyrus the Great, a Persian king who was named for the Messiah, uh, who was named a Messiah for freeing the Jews during the Babylonian captivity. And then his first name, David, was to symbolize the lineage directly to the biblical yes. King David, for whom, you know, the branch Davidians kind of branched off. <laughs> Man, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. Walter White went to Waco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're basically claiming a lot of lineage. Um, and I, I guess this is like kind of a theme in modern religions sometimes like in america but also all over the world where they're like like places in like church in nigeria oh yeah we've got the ark of the covenant or, <laughs> yeah you know or john smith <laughs> who's like uh golden things from god don't question me i can marry whoever i want i'm the messiah <laughs> so you know it seems to be a theme that claiming lineage um gives you a sense of um authenticity but Anyone with any rational thinking would be able to disprove that lineage within seconds. So you would think, yeah, yeah. Uh, but nobody seems to take that time. No, apparently not. They're too busy being culted up. Exactly. Anyway, so David Koresh takes this name. He professes himself to be the spiritual descendant of King David, mm -hmm. and uh, he needs to carry out a divinely commissioned errand. <sighs> what was his divine errand? Was it murdering uh, people? Well, he wanted to practice the teachings of spiritual weddings, which enabled him to bed God-chosen female followers of any age. Oh, shit. And then Koresh started fathering children. He, it's at least a dozen of... Uh, a dozen children were fathered with various members of the congregation, cult, whatever you want to call it. Jeez. And that, that didn't... Uh, wait, he did include one with his legal wife. It's a big oh, mess. The, the family tree is weird. But his yeah. legal teenage wife. So, yes, that's right. Sorry. His, yeah, I mean, Jesus, the South. Um, <laughs> yeah. His legal teenage bride. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of... 
uh, if we're talking the lesser of evils, then at this point, like, wow, he married a teenager, has gone to, okay, now that's like the least of our problems at this point. So, yeah, now he's yeah. just banging Jeez. all kinds of people, doesn't matter how old or who. He's knocking yeah. out children left and right. And it was based on this doctrine that he had that was revealed to him that involved producing 24 children by chosen women in the community. And then those 24 kids were supposed to serve as the 24 ruling elders over the millennium after the return of Christ. So, right. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. as they would. Yeah. yeah. Um, the women were supposedly chosen. Um, the women that were supposedly chosen included one underage girl, Michelle Jones, who was the younger sister of Rachel Jones, who was his wife. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, I guess there was a six-month investigation following some allegations on that he, by the Texas Child Protective Services in 1992, but they didn't turn up any evidence because the Branch Davidians conspired, uh, concealed the spiritual marriage by yeah. assigning a surrogate husband to the girl for appearances' sakes. Oh, there. that's so messed up. That is so, th and and also you're talking about complicit silence. So nobody's going to break ranks with that. And like, hey, I'm your whistleblower over here. I know everything. I've got proof. That's just not going to happen because this guy's armed to the teeth, and he's. This is a thing we should point out about David Koresh. Very charismatic guy, but these cult leaders typically are. You know, yes. they're, they're yep. very convincing. I mean, you think about any charismatic leader throughout history, they will get someone to follow them eventually. And unfortunately, if they're charismatic and a bit mad, then they've got nefarious means behind their goals. So, yeah. Uh, and and he, he did have nefarious means because in addition to having wild child factories going off, he started to claim that he cracked the code of the seven seals of the books of Revelation. Of course he did. And then he tied himself into predicting events that would lead to the apocalypse. He told right. his followers that... The Lord willed the Davidians to build an army of God, which mm -hmm. had them start stockpiling weapons. Right. Yeah. And then in May of 1992, the chief deputy, Daniel Weinberg of the McLennan. Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> so this dude notify, uh, is notified that he was by a UPS representative that a package had broken open that he was delivering to the branch Davidians that revealed mm. firearms, uh, inert grenade casings, and Fuck. black powder. Oh my god. So shit to make grenades and guns. That would, I mean, poor UPS driver. You know, they've probably seen some shit in their time, right? They've delivered all sorts of crazy crap and like, no questions asked, but when you are seeing grenade casings, I think that's kind of the point where you're like, okay, that's it. Not a minimum wage, be damned. I am grassing <laughs> this guy up. <laughs> oh, I agree with Toast's uh, request here. Can you say, as James Dean, people, it's Texas. They've always been like this. We just need to accept that. Um, I'm trying to get in my Dean. <laughs> uh, people, no, it's Texas. They've always been like this. We just need to accept that. That was very, very spare <laughs> nice, of the moment. Nice. You'll have to come back to me on that. <laughs> I'll take it. It sounded good to me, man. Uh, it's fine. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, oh, man. That's, yeah. Okay, so the ATF is alerted by the UPS driver. Yeah, and of all the people you want responding to a serious situation at the, at the moment, at this point in time, the ATF is not that group. No. 
No, they they're a they are out they're, of control. They're a bit shooty. They are a bit shooty of children and dogs and women and babies and shit. Yes, and so, we'll get into yeah. that here too. So yeah. Um, at this point, the allegations from the child stuff and the ATF uh, has them on FBI and the ATF radar. And then on mm. June 9th, ATF opens a formal investigation uh, that it classified sensitive and right. it called for a high degree of oversight from Houston and uh, the national headquarters, which they did. Mm-hmm. And on July 30th, the ATF agent David Aguilera and Skinner visited the Branch Davidians gun dealer, uh, Henry McMahon, right. who tried to get them to talk with Koresh over the phone. And Koresh offered to let ATF come in and ex- inspect the Branch Davidians weapons and paperwork. Sure. And when he asked to speak to Agent Aguilera, Aguilera declined, but then later um, used an affidavit from him was used to get the warrant. The affidavit was officially filed on February 25th, 1993, and it alleged that the Davidians had violated federal law, and that allowed the ATF to obtain search warrants and arrest warrants for Koresh and some specific followers. Yeah, um, They were looking at weapons charges, um, illegal modifications to guns, causing them to be automatic weapons. Yeah. A former Branch Davidian member claimed that Koresh had M16 lower receivers that he used to modify AR-15 receivers. Jesus, okay. And, and so there was constructive possession charges, unregistered mm-hmm. machine guns, and mm-hmm. the search warrant commanded a search on or before February 28th, 1993, and sometime between 8 and 10 p.m. Yeah. So the ATF... Um, also made a claim that he was operating a, a meth lab, possibly. Yeah, I think at this point they are stacking the deck, aren't they? You know, it's, yes. it's becoming an orgy of evidence. They're like, hey, judge, guess what? We've got loads of guns and grenades and stuff. Like, that's that's all true. But then, like, modifications, which the ATF, they love getting people on modification charges. And they're like, oh, and the meth lab thing, like, that's an old rumor. They're just, like, tagging that in there as well to make them a criminal conspiracy. They're trying to get them on RICO charges, like, at this well, it, point. So. It also put them uh, in the sphere where they were able to talk to the military and DEA right. to get some training. Of course. And even though that investigation was focusing on the firearms, uh, firearms violations and not the meth lab, they did go to the DEA and the DOD and cited the drug connection. Um, they used that to get additional training with some special forces too, which anyway. Yeah. I know. Um, although the original request for assistance was initially approved, the commander of the special forces detachment at the army base nearby said they only engaged in training from the 25th to the 27th. Right. And on the 27th, 1993, the Waco Tribune Herald published uh, a series of, or began to publish a series of articles called The Sinful Messiah. Oh. Those reported allegations that Koresh had physically abused children and mm. had committed statutory rape and mm, yes. took multiple underage brides. Yep. Advocated All for true. polygamy for himself, declared himself yep. married to several female residents. All true. Um, they just went through all kinds of shit. Yeah. Um, the, uh, mm. 
Damn it, word. Yep. <laughs> Caught me. So in those articles, they announced that he had at least 140 li- wives and was oh entitled God. to claim anyone in the group uh, that he wanted to, some of them as young as 12 or 13 years old. Oh, man. The ATF planned their raid for Monday, March 1st, 1993, with the code name Showtime. But <laughs> with that article coming out on the 27th, they moved it up a day to February 28th. Right. Um, I guess in a February 24th meeting with the the newspaper, the ATF and um, the newspaper staff tried to come to an agreement to hold off the publishing of that. But the ATF wasn't feeding up enough information, I guess, and they went ahead with it anyway. Um, Any advantage of surprise that the ATF had going a day early was lost when a reporter who had been tipped off about the raid stopped and asked for directions. Um, (laughs) He asked for directions from a U.S. Postal Service mail carrier who was coincidentally Koresh's brother-in-law. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) And so he told him, and then Koresh confirmed it to an undercover ATF agent that had infiltrated them that a raid was imminent. Right. That prompted the undercover agent to make up a thing and get the hell out of there. Yep. And when he was asked what they were doing when he left the compound, he said they were praying and they were also uh, select ordering select male followers to begin arming and taking up defensive positions while the women and children were told to take cover in their rooms. That's when the ATF decided they were going to execute a search warrant and bust down the doors and go get them instead of just having the sheriff bring them in and have a conversation. Yeah, like this cowboy shit has resulted in so many deaths. Just go in with your arms out and talk to someone. If you're a good negotiator, you can get anything in the world. Do not go in busting indoors. You immediately get people's backs up. What the hell? And I don't understand like the sense of urgency. I mean, I guess I, I do, but well, it, it wasn't crimes, but like nobody's in immediate danger of death at this point, right? Not really. Not, not so much. But no. I mean, I guess protecting the children. Yeah, uh, but like you're not though, are you? You're storming the building. Children are gonna die if you do that. It's just the way the world works. Well, gotta protect the kids. Get your guns loaded. That doesn't make sense to me. No. Not not so much. No. Uh, I mean, either side could have prevented the violence uh, yeah. very, very easily. But, you know, the Waco side, um, the not the Waco side. Sorry, people in Waco, Texas. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, Branch Davidian side of it, you know, government overreach, federal overreach, yeah. all kinds of things. They didn't want to just come out. Plus, David Koresh was saying that this was prophesized. This was the apocalypse. This is how it goes. Mm -hmm. And the ATF raids them and a gun battle pops off. Four ATF agents are killed. Six Branch Davidians die. And shortly after that happens, the FBI is like, whoa, fucking wait a second. (laughs) Yeah. You idiots. And a standoff starts. Mm. And a siege Um, takes place. The siege. Yeah. It lasted 51 days and... I remember, you and I are probably the right age to remember this. I, mean, I, I, It's one of those things when you're watching it, because like you get to a certain age in life and, and you are aware that sometimes things happen on the news 
And in that moment, you are able to recognize them as I am watching history unfold before my very eyes. Um, happened with me. The first time I remember it was the Berlin Wall. I remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm eight years old. I get that this is a big deal and will be for the rest of time. Um, the the raid on the, the Branch Davidians, that was intense television for days, weeks, months at a time. And we we in the UK, we were fed a very balanced picture because the BBC at the time were, okay, we have to present both sides of every single argument. Not so much now. But like they they kind of, we got to see like all of the stuff that David Koresh had been accused of and it was shocking. And then we got to see blasting death metal at them and at like 24 hours a day. And we're like, what are you doing? This is not going to work. It's going to make things much worse. So, it's so weird. I know. Now they've, they've had at that point though, they have a bad track record as it is. They're coming off the heels of Ruby Ridge. And oh yeah. The, the, yeah. So after 51 days, a bunch of telephone exchanges, uh, April 19th comes around 1993. Yeah. The FBI decides they're going to send in tanks and launch a tear gas assault. Right. Yeah. They wanted they wanted it over. They said, "Fuck you, you're under arrest. We're coming in to get you." Yeah. During the advance, Mount Carmel caught on fire and mm-hmm. it it just erupted into a giant ball of flames and it the circumstances they're they're kind of disputed. The FBI yeah. though they did release tapes recently um showing from their listening devices groups i mean shit who knows what they could be anyway there's people inside there that they heard through their listening devices that were dumping fuel talking about where are we going to light this up and they were dousing various areas of the compound prior to the approach of the tanks Mm. that said most cs gas and tear gas that that used at the time is combustible. It is and, definitely, especially in hot temperatures as well. And they turned off the, the electricity days ago. Yep. So duh, they're going to have candles and generators and ignition yep. sources all over the place in there. So they'll be, yeah, they'll be cooking also, e- you know, so either way, the place went up in flames and 79 branch Davidians died. Yep. 21 of them. Um, were, were chil- children under the age of 16. Jesus. Koresh also died. Uh, he suffered a gunshot wound to the head during Self-inflicted, the... you think? It's it's not known whether it was suicide or if he was killed by somebody that was known as his right-hand man. Right, um, okay. FBI speculates that that man probably realized that he was dealing with a fraud and shot and killed him and then offed himself because <laughs> he couldn't get out of the fire. Sure, yeah. Have you ever just just a quick sideline? Remember the murder of Gianni Versace uh, yeah. back in the mid nineties? He was shot. He was gunned down on his doorstep, right? And um, the guy who killed him—they made a whole f- series about it. But the people that did the uh, the people versus O.J. Simpson—they uh, did a series about it. I remember watching the siege on that house. I think this was after this as well. And he was like on a houseboat or something in in Florida, wherever it was. Yeah, and I remember seeing six, wasn't it? Yeah, it was mid nineties. Yeah, and anyway, I remember seeing the aerial footage from the helicopters of when um, I guess it was the FBI or the ATF or whoever it was just bust in doors, and then fucking windows of the whole building just light up. Like for about three or four seconds, right? It's just pure bright light coming out of there because they are unloading on this guy. 
And then they had the gall to come out and say, yeah, he killed himself. I'm like, what? Sorry. <laughs> you fucking destroyed a wall in that house with bullets. So let's not pretend that he took his own life. You pumped him full of every single round you had. To so, be fair, yeah. he started. He did start it. Yes. <laughs> and they ended it significantly worse than he started it. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I would end my story here, but it doesn't entirely end there because no, it doesn't. the events that happened at the Waco siege started to fuel and drive some far right and alt right extremists here. And on the second anniversary of the assault, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols perpetrated the Oklahoma City bombing. That's right. Which killed at least 168 people and injured 680 more. Um, the it's it's still to this or yeah to this day oh, it's okay. the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. Yeah. Um, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols expressed anger after the federal government uh, handled boggled this. Yeah. As well um, as Ruby uh, the Ruby Ridge. Uh, mm. which led to the death of women and children because they screwed up. <laughs> yeah, Basically. they really did. I I, I remember, again, I, I didn't hear about the Ruby Ridge thing at the time. I don't think we got that in this country. We got the Waco thing because it was everywhere. And also his, the comedian Bill, oh, what's his name? Bill Hicks. Oh, yeah. Uh, did He was there He because he was a Texan. So he just like rocked up and he was like, I'm going to film it. And he was dead against the government after that. He was like, I saw some horrible stuff. I will never trust the government again. But um, the Ruby Ridge thing, um, sorry, just to go back to, I always go back to John Ronson. In the book, Them, um, John Ronson spends a weekend with the daughter of the family that survived Ruby Ridge. She was one of the few survivors. And she talks about like, I was there, my mother's dead next to me and the baby's crying and my dad's injured on the floor and we had to we waited and they're shouting the most horrible things through the window and all of this and like she the way she comes across in um that book them by john ronson and the audiobook which you can get which i think is also a good listen um she comes across as like we didn't want any trouble all we wanted was just to live alone just, you know, maybe have a few guns, stuff like that. And whenever John's like, what about the um, Aryan Nation stuff? And she's like, well, yeah, it probably wasn't so great. But um, for the most part, she seemed reasonably, because she was a child, right? So she was very, very innocent, as was her brother, who was murdered by the ATF. But um, I get what you mean. Like, she, she said that the biggest part was she would go to, like, different rallies and stuff, because they pay her to attend. Like, right. oh, this is the survivor of Ruby Ridge sort of thing. And she'd have all these people coming up to her going, oh, my God, I'm I, I'm so, you know, your your father was a hero. He fought against the New World Order. He fought against the Jews. He fought against this. And like she's like, I don't want to hear that. You know, we just wanted peace and quiet. I don't want to hear your conspiracy theories. I don't want to be a martyr for your ridiculous causes. And unfortunately, she and some of the people from Waco, they have been kind of immortalized in a really kind of gross way uh, yeah yeah well and the i mean the thing with the ruby ridge is like the whole pretext of that yeah. was kind of bullshit and then they oh, shot was, his absolutely. dog and it just all went to hell and then yeah. people showed up to protest but it was like tax uh people that were against taxes anti-federal mm. government people and then nazis and white supremacists because he was yeah. christian identity which was tied in with aryan nations up there that course, whole yeah. shit show. Yeah. But 
Um, McVeigh actually drove from Arizona to Waco oh, to no. observe that standoff in 1993. And yeah. along with other protesters, he's photographed by the FBI and was actually briefly interviewed by a television reporter oh, when goodness. all of this was going down. Uh, and he was selling gov- anti-government bumper stickers as well. Something about... Uh, when- and I think I had this bumper sticker that said, when right. guns are outlawed, I'll be an outlaw. But right. Yeah, I, I kind of moved away from that a little bit. Anyway, uh, four yeah. documentary films have been made about the siege, including yeah. The Rules of Engagement, Waco, yeah. A New Revelation, Waco, The Big Lie, Waco, mm-hmm. Mad Manor Messiah, and then a 2018 BBC Radio 5 podcast, yes. um, End of Which Days. It's a really good listen, actually. I've, I've listened to that a couple of times. It is fascinating, actually. Yeah. And uh, that that's... That's all I got for you. That ends the tale of Vernon Wayne Howell, a.k.a. David Koresh. What do you think? Man, man, it's one of those things where I I have this stance of I don't like using words like evil because evil is a really easy get-out word for responsibility of society, right? So if you say, like, you see it after trials in this country as well. Police will come out, like the people who have investigated it, and they will come out and say, so-and-so was evil. The acts he committed were evil. They were monstrous. They were barbaric. They were beastly. They used these words to dehumanize the person behind the crime. And it's such a dangerous thing because, again, I've spoken about this before. When you dehumanize a criminal or someone who is accused of a crime or whatever it might be, you do that and you push them away. You're like, well, I don't have to worry about them because they're not human. You know, you're not focusing on the fact that these impulses are very not not very common, but they are prevalent in people, right? So if you remove the human from the tragedy, then you don't learn any lessons from it. So that being said, I am fairly comfortable calling Vernon, David, a sociopath and a psychopath. Um, I don't know if I, I mean, evil, I'm very, very, you know, reserved for hitler and and people like that but he was someone who had a completely messed up beginning which obviously warped him significantly serious psychological issues to do with his upbringing and he was the worst aspects of his personality were encouraged because he was such a charismatic leader and Mm -hmm. he just ran rampant and was no one could stop him because he had this very much reminds me of rasputin in a way um kind of getting into an existing power structure and seizing power for himself through his charisma and his seduction of women. So reminds That's, me quite a bit of that. about it that way. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and ultimately, I mean, look what happened. Rasputin died. The family he had power over died. Same thing here, really. Um, it's yeah, There was a, a Waco TV miniseries. It was pretty good. I haven't seen that. I'd like to see that. I would like some sort of Netflix Rasputin is started in the chat. Um, I would like some sort of um, modern day retelling of this, like a mini series, you know, six, 10 episodes, whatever you might do. Cause I feel that there's enough legs in Vernon's life story and the, the siege itself that actually that could be a really, really interesting full modern day series. So I want to know what, what happened when he was in LA, man. Is it, I've never seen anything about him trying to be a rock star. No, I just read a brief bit of that in one of the uh, books. Do you, think he, do you think he was hanging out with like what's his name, like Tommy from Rick the James? 
Rick James, bitch. <laughs> uh, hanging out. He's probably hanging out with uh, Tommy Wiseau or some shit like that from the room. Like they just seem like they'd be good together because they're both mad. Uh, yeah, I in terms of scoring, David Koresh is always going to score high because he he did monstrous things. He never did any good. There was no ambiguity. Yes, he had a shit childhood. Loads of people have shit childhoods. They don't go on and become either partially or mostly responsible for the deaths of hundreds of people. So I'm going to give David Koresh a 94. For oh, that. I'll take it. Yeah, he. I knew we were going to get to him eventually. Um, it's another one of those things where I, I really wish. There were things in ancient Rome called Auigas, Augas, whatever it was. Anyway, so you've got a returning general who's just conquered parts of Gaul, Germany, whatever it is, Spain, Iberia, the peninsula, whatever it was called then. They come back in and they have the procession through Rome. It's part of the thing where you present like your the things you've captured, the, the slaves you've taken and all of this. And, and they are driven in on a, a, a kind of a cart, the very ornate thing. And they're driven in by these augers, oigas, whatever they're called, um, who are basically um, very important Roman taxi drivers. And their <laughs> job is to not only drive the car, but also while the general is looking out over at the adorning Roman populace who are waving at him and calling him a hero and all this, he leans over to the general every couple of minutes and says, you are just a man. Yeah, you are just a man. You are not a god. You are just a man. There are not enough people in this world today who have that job. There are pe everybody needs when they get a little bit of fame, a little bit of power, a little bit of this. They need that one person to say, "Look, calm the fuck down. You are messing up." And unfortunately, yep. <laughs> people like <laughs> Justin Bieber, right the way up to the very worst people in society, these people are not surrounded by enough people who have authority over them and have the ability to restrain them and david koresh is an example of that where he controlled everything and nobody stopped him nobody could stop him because he was armed to the teeth and had followers so the power structures are what they are but you have to have people who are overseers of this power and... yeah you gotta have some sort of checks and balances some yeah. head checks <laughs> exactly yeah you've got to you've got to you've got to occasionally get put people in their place and I'm, yeah. I'm very fortunate that i have that in my life i think everybody should have that in their life and you know you might resent it but there are times when you need to be told when you are fucking up and when you are making a mess of things and that's really important in life so yeah david koresh 94 all day long terrible human being glad he's gone sorry but i am you know he'd have caused much more damage had he stayed around I think, he, yeah, he linked up with the bullet crown guy and shit would have got real. Oh, God, could you imagine? <laughs> they were around at the same time. And it, like all of those Ruby Ridge people, imagine if like he'd survived the siege. They imagine what, you know, Waco, it was what it was. But imagine if he'd lived, he'd be in prison. But he'd have hundreds of thousands of supporters around the world, ultra right wing people who would be sending him money, looking after him, make it, setting up businesses for him. And he would still be a problem now. Yes. Guarantee it. Yep. So, um, anyway, from one extreme to another. Now, I have a slightly more sedate uh, situation because only because it's British, but it ain't <laughs> it ain't boring. That's for fucking sure. This guy. <laughs> Let me tell you the story of Paul Flowers, the man who couldn't stop. He. Okay. I, I, I titled this 
with his nickname, but it would have given away what happens. So we'll get to his nickname a little later on. It is one of the greatest <laughs> nicknames that anyone has ever been given by the press in history. It is mwah, perfect. Better than Jack the Ripper? Better than Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the best funny, stupid, weird nickname I have ever seen in my life. You know, have you ever seen Rick and Morty? They, yeah. they have like the 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 kind of the, the memory slugs with the, the beings that try and insert themselves into your memories so that you, you don't remember. And there's Pencil Vesta. And Pencil Vesta turns to Rick and he says, come on, Rick, you can't kill me. My name's Pencil Vesta. And he's like, yeah, you're right. It's an amazing name. I can't kill you. Summer, <laughs> just get someone else to off him because the name is so good. Can't kill him. It's better than Pencil Vesta. I swear to God. <laughs> Paul okay. John Flowers was born on the 5th of June, 1950, in Portsmouth, England, which is on the south coast. Um, Portsmouth is near what looks like the UK sphincter. If you're looking around, <laughs> you'll see okay. it. It's quite recognisable. Uh, but he was brought up in the nearby town of Eastleigh, going to Barton Peverell School. Uh, the south coast of England is is kind of, you're getting towards like Devon and Cornwall. Devon and Cornwall are super relaxing. And that's where they talk a bit like this. And they're, 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 most of the people from Devon and Cornwall, they were some of the people that came over on the Mayflower. And they're the origins of the American accent, you see, because they sound a bit like this. They're a bit like Sam in, in The Hobbits, you know, and uh, the Shire <laughs> and that. They sound right like that. And it's it's stuck. So if, if you, um, <laughs> Mr. Poop, <Pooper, laughs> um, so if you, uh, if you ever go to, um, what's that part just off Newfoundland, Newfoundland, right? They've still got that Cornish accent going on. It's oh, like a yeah. slight change because they haven't had much, like, nobody goes to live in Newfoundland. So they've still got that accent from, like, when people went over hundreds of years earlier on the Mayflower. So they've still got that Cornish accent. Anyway. The Newfies are who the Canadians call, like, the Hicks, right? Yeah. Basically, yes, they're they're considered Hicks. But they're just, they've just got their own language and own culture. It's, it's very interesting, actually. Um, it's a relic of hundreds of years of... Um, non-evolution of the accent which is just fascinating to me anyway, that part of England Portsmouth's not quite there it's south coast, not quite southwest but it's much more relaxed the weather is much nicer um, it's kind of more Mediterranean in, in weather particularly places like Torquay have got an actual Mediterranean thing in their weather so people are a little bit there's a little bit of a more relaxed vibe people aren't so busy to rush around and stuff and a lot of farmers a lot of laid-back stuff it's very hot fuzz you know everyone in their mother's got a gun around here sort of thing <laughs> that sort of yeah so um from 1972 he studied for a bachelor of arts degree in theology this is going to be very important graduating from the university of bristol where my wife is from in 1975 he then obtained a postgraduate diploma at the University of Geneva, of all places. Very, oh. various words. Um, <laughs> early in his career, he worked for four years in banking, gaining part one and half of his part two Institute of Bankers qualification. Flowers was a Methodist minister for over 40 years. In 1976, he was appointed to serve the church in Bradford, West Yorkshire. From 1978 to 1981, he was a minister at Hedge Ends Methodist Church in Eastleigh, so back down south. In the 1970s, Flower was vice chair of Eastleigh Labour Party and contested Bishop Waltham in Hampshire County Council elections in 1981. He lost. The Labour Party are currently out of government, but Tony Blair, Dave, uh, not David Cameron, uh, Tony Blair was uh, the most re well the most high profile Labour Prime Minister. They're they're like 
the the opposition at the moment is like them and the conservatives are the two big parties and then you've got like a like the liberal democrats the green party bunch of racists as well uh the snp in scotland you've got plaid cymru in wales so you've got a bunch of other parties buying but typically those are the two big ones in this country and uh, the, the occasionally you'll find that they might need help from the liberal democrats if they want to be voted in if there isn't a complete majority but labor are have historically been behind the tories because this is a deeply conservative country anyway he's a labor candidate he's very socialist and he is very focused on helping the community which goes hand in hand with his work as a methodist minister so good Seems stuff like it would yeah. yeah, and like I, I feel gl- uh, th- that part of him I really like, and there's examples of him doing really good work, but not so much. We'll get to the rest. Uh, Flowers unsuccessfully stood for selection in 1985 as the Labour candidate to contest the Coventry South East parliamentary seat, supported by branches of his union as a former bank worker, the General Municipal Boil Makers and Allied Trade Union. That's a fucking massive <laughs> union name. Jeez, sorry. General Municipal boil ma- Boilermakers and Allied Trade Union. That's, that's quite an acronym. <laughs> um, he described himself as towards the centre politically in his campaign, which at the time, towards the centre of Labour, that would have been definitely very left-wing, whereas now you say towards the centre of Labour. In the current stage, it's basically centre, right? Um, in the Rochdale Council election of 1988, he gained a seat in the Smallbridge and Waddleworth ward, holding it until 1992. So he's now a councillor. Councillors hold quite a bit of power because they're responsible for the administration of things like police budgets, fire budgets, refuse okay. collection, um, road repair, just like general stuff, repair to municipal buildings, upkeep and stuff like that. Like quite important stuff really, that the government just doesn't have time for, for the most part. Local level things, right? Yeah, local level yeah. stuff. I'm sure you guys have got a similar system over in the States, but councils have quite a lot of power, and they collect council tax, which we pay out of every paycheck. It's, uh, it's uh, maybe 40 quid a month or something like that. It's not massive, but it means that police get paid, ambulance get paid, you know, all of that stuff. Anyway, um, so he's part of the council now. Flowers was also vice chairman of Rochdale uh, Council's Social Services Committee at the time of a satanic abuse scandal, which, you know, this is like the late 80s, early 90s. There were fucking dozens of these things. 99% of them were bullshit. I hate New hat thing. Oh, God, it was ridiculous. They were (laughs) everywhere. Oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Your kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons. They might be Satan worshippers. Oh, come on. That's the thing that these people that are watching Stranger Things, these younger ones like my kids, I'm like, that was real. They that were... happened everywhere, and that was Stranger Things was real. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the the upside down isn't real, but the whole satan—they're they're part of a satanic cult. They're, they're worshiping like actually, there were far worse things happening that had nothing to do with Satanists. To be honest, there were lots of terrible things happening involving government officials and stuff. Anyway, Flowers uh, was part of uh, that that committee who investigated that, and also was responsible for rejecting allegations child sex abuse against the late uh, then MP Cyril Smith who is now dead. It's since come out that he is responsible for dozens of abuse cases over decades. At the time people just sort of rejected that thing um, out of hand a lot of the time without even any investigation. Like, he wouldn't do that. He's an MP. Why would an MP, why would a, why would a politician have sex with multiple people like that just doesn't make any sense but actually yes it's come out since that cyril smith was 
not a very nice person and actually quite horrible. They just um, didn't know anything about that whole no. sex power thing back in the day, I guess. No, they just assumed that every like he's a man, he's a white man. What would he do wrong? Uh, <laughs> it's very much the thinking at the time. After periods in Coventry and Rochdale and Bridlington, East Yorkshire, where my best friend lives or, or is from, I should say, he lives around the corner. Um, he returned to Bradford. Flowers was a minister at Clayton and Wibsey. I'm sorry about all these stupid names. They they're throwing me. To be honest, these Wibsy, <laughs> for God's sake, uh, in Bradford South Circuit near his home in Bradford, where he served as a minister for 10 years on the city council. Flowers was a trustee for the Methodist Church Purposes, the body which manages the church's invested funds and property. Flowers contributed regularly to the Methodist Recorder. In, which is like a, a newspaper, nationally kind of published Methodist newspaper, including a spell as the paper's art critic writing the gallery notes column. Uh, I don't really know who's going to be reading an art column in a, in a Methodist. Yeah, that's where world. I go to find out about my art, my Christian yeah. magazine newspaper thing. <laughs> that's where I get the good opinions on art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, in 2000, he attempted to set up a trade union. This is dodgy. This is where it starts to get a little bit dodgy. A trade union for clergy to protect members against false allegations of abuse. Hmm. For a number of years, he was leading. Uh, he was a leading candidate in the race for the position of the president of the Methodist Conference, but withdrew after three unsuccessful events. If only Trump had done that, had like, <laughs> uh, oh, you, what? Three unsuccessful attempts? That's enough for me. Like, no, he's going to keep on going until he gets in. He's still going. He's you know still what I just going. realized about this guy, Mr. Flowers, so far? Is he's yeah. like all the things I hate. He's a banker. Yeah. He's uh, a preacher. Not that I hate religious leaders. I just don't trust You know something's that... coming with them, don't you? Yeah. yeah and, uh, oh, and a politician. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And a politician. Uh, Toastazoid has said it perfectly. Sussy. Sussy Flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like you're getting so like okay like this is 80s and 90s. This is what would have been considered an upstanding member of the community, right? He's a local politician. He's a local councillor. He's a preacher, man of God. He's like helping out. Um, he's also British. No, I no offense taken, mate. Uh, we are sussy. Um, so you know you're getting a lot of that. Like in the 80s and 90s, this would have been what would have been considered the stereotypical pillar of the community. Nowadays, we look at this person, and we're like, something going on, and fuck was there? Um, so in 2000, um, right, Flowers' career progressed through the democratic structures of United Cooperative, um, becoming a member of its board uh, following election via United Yorkshire's Regional Committee. In 2008, following United's merger with the Cooperative Group in 2007, he joined the board of the Co-op Group and was later made its deputy chairman. Now, I think I need to give you a bit of context about the Co-op Group um, because, you know, you hear Co-op in America, you think of like local barn that sells eggs or some shit like that, you know, like the, the Cooperative. farmers. Yeah, people live on the same place and they share stuff. It all sounds very quaint. In the UK, the Cooperative were... Uh, founded, or oh, I'll tell you about, they were founded off the back of like trade union, hardcore trade union movements. So um, okay. the cooperative group was developed over the years from the merger of the cooperative wholesale societies and many independent retail societies. The group's roots are traced back to the Rochdale Society of Equitable Pioneers, established in 1844. 
the Rochdale Society of Equitable... Yeah, that's a long time ago. The Rochdale Society of Equitable Pioneers was based on the Rochdale principles, which notably introduced the idea of distributing a share of profits according to purchases through a scheme which became known as the dividend, or colloquially as divvy. So, so like dividend payments on stocks? Or yes. Like a pyramid exactly. scheme? Exactly. Well, no, no, no. Okay. Like full-on dividend payments. So okay. like you... You put a certain amount in, you get a certain amount out. It's essentially um, investing in a very, very safe and pretty high-yield stock for people that don't want to invest thousands upon thousands of pounds. They're like, I will put in, I will buy £100 worth of cooperative stocks, I'll get £30 a year sort of thing. Like, it's a good return. It's stable. There's no risk involved because it's shared amongst millions of different owners. Um, okay. It was... It was founded on trade union principles. It was founded on workers' rights. It was founded on the working man having more control over his life. The co-op, as an organization, has done a lot of good over the years. I'll go into that now. Today, it has over 100 subsidiaries, such as NISA Retail Limited, Co-op Insurance Services Limited, Cooperative Legal Services Limited, Cooperative Funeral Care, Cooperative Food Shops, which most people in the UK will know the co-op that's typically your local shop like they're usually very nice they've got very good local produce in there as well maybe a little yeah. bit more expensive than other shops but it's like it's good quality stuff um and the net revenue um of the company comes to 13.5 billion pounds a year so about wow. 15 billion dollars yeah it's a big organization it's the fifth biggest retailer of food in the uk okay. their corporate blurb says this one of the world's largest consumer cooperatives owned by millions of members, we're the UK's fifth biggest food retailer with more than 2,500 local convenience and medium-sized stores. So they're not like not like your Walmarts, like your, your local store or your corner shop, basically. Okay. Like, but, right. but like decent prices, not where you're going to get charged exorbitant rates for <laughs> junk, you know? It's not like a 7-Eleven. It's like reasonably healthy, just all on a smaller scale. Gotcha. So like a like a uh, we used to have fresh and easies here. Yeah, like little. Yeah, think of like a smaller Whole Foods. Okay, with a bit of chocolate in there as well. You know, <laughs> they got they got pizzas and chocolate. It's fine. Um, we're also the UK's number one funeral service provider, a major general insurer, a growing legal service business, as well as having clear financial and operational objectives and employing nearly seventy thousand people. We are a recognized leader for our social goals and community-led programs. We exist to meet our members' needs and stand up for things they believe in. So the more successful we are, the more we can give back to you and your local community. That's why we're different. Now, that might sound like every corporate mission statement you've ever heard in your life because they're always like, oh, we're about you. We're about the community. We're about the little guy. You know, yeah. like you hear that all the time. But the co-op is generally well-respected in this country. And they are reasonably ethically ethical and like community minded, so that, that they practice what they preach for the most it, part. It would seem that like their shareholders are their owners that are their employees, so that it would make them more accountable to do yeah. good things and you know walk the walk the walk that they're talking. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and they are for the most part they are a safeish bet when you you're looking for an ethical company like it, it, people talk to me about hsbc and natwest all the time they are dodgy as fuck but <laughs> like the uh, the co-op you're generally in safe hands with the co-op but there was a time when it wasn't and i'll get to that now 
In 2009, following its merger with the Britannia Building Society, Flowers was appointed non-executive chairman of the Cooperative Bank on 26th of March 2010, when I would have turned 29. Um, he was appointed, that was my 29th birthday, he was appointed non-executive chairman of the Cooperative Financial Services, the holding company for both the Cooperative Bank and the Cooperative Insurance Society. During his, this time, he was made a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Bankers in Scotland. So at this point, his career is going good, right? Like he's a minister, he's a banker, he's kind of a local politician, seems to be going do, well. Do ministers get tax breaks in, oh, yeah. yeah, over there? Can he claim his banking income as a... No. Like, how no, does that, that work? That, uh, so <laughs> I, I can I, I know a few um, Catholic priests and I know that they do not get paid much at all. Like can they have way, a side hustle? Not really. No. Okay. They they are they live very the the minute the priests I know live live very simple lives. Even like if people criticize the Catholic Church, they do not get paid much. Um, their retirement packages are quite small. It's the same thing for ministers. It's really more about the service to God, I think, with that. Um, a lot of um, Catholic churches, obviously, that that's, you know, you have a priest, that's his job. He is a priest. Whereas uh, Methodists are a little bit more pragmatic in terms of go out and earn your fortune if you want to sort of thing. Like, you don't have to be just a minister. You can be a lay minister. You can, like, do other things. So that's why he's gone into banking. Okay. And he's gone into politics. And as a counselor and a banker, he's making good money. Like those two things combined, especially at the level he's at, we're talking like hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. And, so and he's now he's tying in with the co-op that's billions there. Exactly. Yeah. So he's probably mid six figures at this point, where he's like chairman of this organization. I would imagine it's probably like at least five hundred thousand pounds a year pay to be the chairman of a banking society. And then like his his political stuff on the side, that's that's got to be like another fifty to sixty thousand pounds a year. And his ministerial his his work as a minister, his pastoral work, it's probably like maybe twelve thousand pounds a year, nothing more than that. But like he's earning half a million pounds a year at this point. Plus, with him, even though it's a cooperative bank, he will be getting bonuses, performance related. So you okay. know, probably pushing him close to three quarters of a million pounds at this point. So it's it's a good life for this guy, right? Um it's all about to go a bit wrong. Uh -oh. downhill quickly um, <laughs> after the bank lost 700 million pounds in the first half of 2013 and then the discovery of a 1.5 billion pound hole in the bank's finances by new chief executive Ewan Sutherland in May 2013 Flowers resigned from the bank in June 2013 taking responsibility for the difficulties the bank experienced after acquiring Britannia he was replaced by Richard Pym, head of UK Asset Resolution. So they've brought in a guy who's like, right, I'm going to find this money. What has been going on here? Dude, that's a lot of money to just be that's, like, whoops. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't carry the three. What do you Look, want from me? There's you know? a hole. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a little little gap in the finances. <laughs> and like, I, I, I understand, like, because I've been part of companies that have merged before, like in the, in the media world, and they always, they always underestimate how much it's going to cost or how much like they're going to lose in the first year but never to the extent of 1.5 billion i think that's a bit of an exception there yeah. you bought a building society maybe you're going to lose 100 million pounds because of like rebranding and retraining and moving of locations and changing this and that and that's fine but like 700 million and then a 1.5 billion hole in the finances where is that money gone 
you know, and who has a pocket? Exactly. Someone <laughs> is making off to Bolivia or Venezuela with that money, right? So anyway, Flowers testified to the Treasury Select Committee. That's that's kind of like the, you know, you've got that in America, right? So you're called before Congress. Okay. Basically, that's this yeah. version's version of that. It's better to overestimate than estimate. Exactly. Do that with banking. Jesus. Why does nobody do that? Um, <laughs> so he testified before the Treasury Select Committee in November 2013 that the Britannia merger and other deals were undertaken under pressure from senior government ministers. So he's pointing the finger at the government now. Oh, So the government's getting involved with the cooperative bank is he's a little bit dodgy. Um, he resigned from the group board and all subsidiary positions in June 2013 and his enforced resignation from the corporate after his his enforced resignation from the cooperative bank that month so it's pretty bad right uh it's only but at the moment it's only financial negligence slash potential criminal behavior like it's financial right it's not going to get any worse than that right this is financial what what, what well, more could happen I mean, he's still a politician. Let's see. He's still a politician. Let's see. A few <laughs> days after his appearance before the Treasury Select Committee, Flowers was filmed by an acquaintance, Stuart Davies, in his car, apparently agreeing to buy cocaine and methamphetamine. Yeah, that's very politician y. <laughs> 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 the clip appears to show him counting out 300 pounds in 20 pound notes before sending a friend to make the deal whilst waiting flowers discusses his use of ketamine cannabis and ghb davis handed over the footage to the mail on sunday scumbag uh which published its article on the 17th of november 2013 on the 21st of november it emerged that flowers had been convicted of drunk driving in manchester in 1990 i'm not entirely sure why that's relevant but I guess it's probably not something that he's got a history. It shows a pattern. Yeah, I guess it's like a history of behavior, but also like they would question like who did their background checks on the guy who was going to become a board of like a major UK bank. Like they probably should have spotted that. Shouldn't I don't say know, everybody over here. Everybody's got DUIs over here, so like I don't. Yeah. Think that they, I know, like it's, it's less of a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, it's uh, Toastazoy says people shouldn't say forced resignation; it should say firing. There's actually um, a thing here in this country. So, if you are a public um, employee, like a high-level public employee, there are these rules that govern your behavior. And if you are part of something that is a drastic failure, there is this unwritten rule that you resign. Because you don't get, you don't wait to get sacked so that you get a compensation package out of this government or publicly funded body that has that you have let down. That that is now this payout's probably going to see you through retirement. You resign and you don't get that, and you fall on your sword. And I I appreciate that. So forced resignations are not uncommon for public figures in this country. We should make cops do that here. Fuck yes, we should. Early retirement, my ass. You. Um, Flowers was immediately suspended by the Methodist Church for three weeks, later extended to indefinite suspension, pending further investigations, <coughs> and was suspended as a member of the Labour Party. Flowers, in a statement, said, The year has been incredibly difficult, with a death in the family and the pressures of my role with the cooperative bank. At the lowest point in this terrible period, I did things, was, uh, I did things that were stupid and wrong. I'm sorry for this. I'm seeking professional help. And apologize to all that I've hurt by uh, hurt or failed by my actions. I, I appreciate the second part of that apology, but don't qualify buying like crystal meth from a dealer for three. It's like I've got a hard job. 
Yeah. Everyone has a hard fucking job. We don't go out and buy meth, you know? Usually. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's had that Friday night where they, you know, your banking job's been hard. You just want to blow off some steam and go insane. Uh, <laughs> cooperative uh, group chairman Len Wardle, uh, who had been part of the committee which had selected flowers and was scheduled to retire in May 2014, resigned in light of the revelations. I'm not surprised. Um, he was replaced by Ursula Lidbetter, amazing name, cooperative yeah. group's deputy chair and chief executive of the Lincolnshire Cooperative Society. But at this point, it's only drugs and financial crimes and mismanagement, right? Surely it can't get worse from here, right? Mm. In, it? in the light of the 2013 drug scandal, Bradford City Council revealed that in 2011, <clears throat> I have to make sure I say this properly, inappropriate but not illegal adult content was found on a councillor uh, council computer handled handed in by councillor flowers for servicing aha uh -huh. so he's this... watching on the company computer yeah this was put to him <laughs> and he immediately resigned but it's only drugs and finances and sex scandals slash crimes surely there can't be more right in 2010, what? he was appointed by the new Labour Party leader, Ed Miliband, to the party's financial and industry uh, advisory board. On the 6th of March 2013, as part of the membership of the group, Labour's Ed Miliband met Flowers to discuss UK banking reform. Flowers had told MPs on the banking committee that he had helped to arrange a donation to then Shadow, Count uh, Shadow Chancellor, so that's like... Um, like Labour Party weren't in power, but they have the same positions so that they can kind of come up with their own strategies. So they call them like instead of the Chancellor of the Exchequer, it's the Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. So it's like, like you got Spock and you got Evil Spock sort of thing, you know, oh, like that okay. sort of thing. Okay. Gotcha. That's, that's the best way I can explain it. Um, so, um, uh, Flowers had told MPs on the banking committee that he had helped to arrange a donation to then Shadow Chancellor Ed Balls's office. <laughs> um, although, although balls insisted, the flowers. This is so stupid. This I'm a child. So it's so bad. Balls and flowers in the same sentence. Oh, sorry, balls. <laughs> sorry, balls. Uh, insisted. Uh, although balls insisted that flowers had uh, nothing to do with the donation, the scandal surrounding the revelations led the Conservative Party chairman. Grant Shapps to ask the Labour leadership to disclose details of any private meetings with Flowers and to return the £50,000 donation to Ed Balls's office that Flowers had backed. I mean, it's a bit cheeky of the Conservatives to talk about donations. They've been taking Russian money for years. Um, <laughs> when you said Shadow Chancellor, my mind went to Palpatine. Yeah! Me they too. need to change that name. It's totally out of range and the modern world people are going to be uh, they have come over with some financial suggestions for you lord vader <laughs> uh, so we've now got drugs we've got sex we've got financial crimes and we've got dodgy political donations slash potential bribes surely there can't be anything else is right? there gonna be any rock and roll I mean, we're pretty much there, right? Uh, Flowers joined the Rolling Stones. No, I'm joking. Uh, Flowers, <laughs> Flowers has been involved with a large number of charities, including being a trustee of both the Terence Higgins Trust between 1992 and 2004 and the Lifeline Project, which worked in the field of alcohol and drug abuse. That's There's an irony there. Um, following the scandal of November 2013, the Lifeline Project stated that at a time 
that at the time of his resignation, he was under investigation following an alleged submission of false expense claims with the matter having been referred to the Charity Commission. He stole charity money. Ah, stole charity money from people that were trying to like treat addiction? Yep, which sounds like he was in the throes of. At this point, yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, Prime Minister David Cameron announced in the House of Commons that he would be setting inquiries to determine how Flowers had come to be appointed to the chairman, uh, the position of chairman of the Cooperative Bank. I mean, that's not good. The Prime Minister's getting involved, and they're like, how did you get this job? You've been sacked from multiple other jobs. You've been convicted of drink driving. You've this, that, and like, okay, I get it. Um, on November the 21st, 2013, Flowers was arrested by police in the Merseyside area in connection with a uh, drug supply investigation. <laughs> it was quickly dubbed, and I absolutely love this, the Crystal Methodist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's that, awesome. Oh, it's just so good. Um, in April 2014, he was charged with the possession of drugs and convicted of possessing cocaine, methamphetamine, and ketamine. On the 7th of May 2014, he received a £400 fine. That is the very definition of getting off light. I know. I got a... Man, shit. I got a bigger fine than that for driving in the HOV lane by myself. It's crazy, right? (laughs) There are probably people in America that are serving like partial life sentences for that, for possession of that amount of drugs. Yeah. Yeah, he's trafficking plus history plus... Yep, you know, I mean, it's that's crazy. In early summer 2014, he fled Bradford to live in Greater Manchester. He ceased to be in full connexation, um, uh, though uh, he's listed as ministers with the Methodist Church of Great Britain in January 2017, following the conclusion of disciplinary processes which found him guilty of seriously impairing the mission, witness, or integrity of the church. Yeah, no shit. Um, I would like to suggest the meth mathematician oh i like that that's good uh-huh well it's banker quite... yeah yeah because it was banker it works yeah it's not quite crystal methodist good but it's up there you know if if you were working for a, a rival paper you'd go with that one too that would work crystal methodist reminds me of the crystal method band plus you know the methodist minister i like it I, it's so good it's although so good. pickle rick is my favorite pickle rick is very good there was one <laughs> um there was I, I, I don't like bringing up The Sun because they are an absolute scumbag newspaper, probably the worst in the world. But when George Michael was arrested for um, in, inappropriate behavior in an L.A. bathroom, um, the headline was Zip Me Up Before You Go-Go, which I thought that's, was very good. That's, that is a solid, that's yes. a solid I mean, name. You've got to give great. credit when you, when you land that level. That's, That's really creative. good, isn't it? That and the Crystal <laughs> Methodist are yeah. brilliant journalistic headlines. <laughs> um, in March 2018, Flowers was banned from the financial services industry by the Financial Conduct Authority for having, here we go, it gets worse, for having used his work email for sexually explicit messages and to discuss illegal drugs. He used his fucking work email for that and his wow. work phone to call premium rate porn and chat lines. Is <laughs> they wow. check your bills, mate. Oh man, that's that's, that's so someone dumb. who's out of control, right? Yeah, that's he's someone a, who's he's a sex deep. addict now too. He's a drug addict, I, sex addict. Yep, thief, 
all sorts going on here. Uh, the FCA said that he had demonstrated a lack of fitness and propriety uh, required to work in the financial services. Oh, fuck off. Like, you are inappropriate to work in the financial industry. We do not like people who abuse drugs and have lots of sex and steal money. And, oh, wait, we're describing 50% of the people who work in the financial industry. I was going to say, so um, your you're, you're thing's nothing like our Wall Street then, huh? I know. Well, no, it definitely <laughs> is. It definitely is. Um, so, yeah, um, that's that's bullshit. But, yeah, I mean, they're right. He He shouldn't be doing any of that. Um, it didn't end there either. Several newspapers reported allegations that, the commu- that he communicated with Rent Boys. Um, I should probably outline what Rent Boy means for uh, our US listeners, viewers. It's a young male prostitute um, of indeterminate age, generally someone who needs to, might be living on the streets, might be trying to get out of an abusive home. And they turn to sex work to try and fund a, a lifestyle away from that. And they're called Rent Boys, and they're usually quite young. So I remember what show I was watching that talked about that. Is there a show that talks about that? Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I, it might anyway, have been a Ricky Gervais show. Anyway, it probably was actually. Yeah, Ricky talks <laughs> about stuff like that all the time. Um, so he used his work email account while he was in charge. Um, of the cooperative bank to talk to rent boys and was convicted of carrying out a sex act in a public toilet more than 30 years ago. So before George Michael was doing oh. it, um, he did, he defended his alleged use of rent boys. And I love that he, his alleged use, like he admits it in this statement saying <laughs> that people at the top get lonely. That's his opening gambit. Call mm. someone. I'm Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was uh, sad. I was I was lonely. Was lonely. Uh, yeah, that's that he was, qualification. Yeah, that's great, <laughs> isn't it? And that he was very often in need of intimacy and drugs and money and porn. Um, on his <laughs> drugs problem, he said, "All of us struggle with different addictions. I have a problem with that. Now, I've had my own addictions in the past, but not everybody is an addict, Paul. Some people live their whole lives without knowing the scourge of addiction. So don't pigeonhole everyone as, oh, everyone's addicted to something, right? That's not true. Maybe he just was things. dyslexic and he meant to say that he was addicted to everything. I mean, yeah. And everyone should understand. <laughs> I maybe, yeah. I mean, at this point, it seems like it. Um, <laughs> not everyone in the world is addicted. That's that's just not the way things work. I'm not going to lie uh, that it's behind me totally because it isn't. Now that part, I completely agree with. Anyone who's ever had an addiction in their life, um, you, you just learn to manage it better. You never fully like the people say, "Oh, I'm cured." You're not cured of an addiction you just manage it day to day you have moved on from that phase in your life that behavior that pattern those emotions those feelings and you're not an addict in that sense anymore but you still have an addictive personality slash tendencies towards addiction Um, the last article i could find about him was from four years ago in the financial times flowers has lain low since his fall from grace except on facebook where a man of principle seems to lurk behind the caricature. Recently, he attacked McDonald's for mistreating a homeless man. Good, because uh, that's awful. Um, He also shared anti-Brexit and anti-gun videos. I am a human being who wants to seek the very best for the ordinary working people everywhere, his timeline says. Clearly a new leaf for flowers. Now, I really hope he has turned over a new leaf, but that's where we leave the story of Paul Flowers. It's kind of... It is... 
I mean, it's messed up, but it is kind of a tragic story. This is a man who was clearly completely out of control and had nobody who could help him because he seems to have been struggling with a multitude of addictions and probably the pressures of a job that he should not have had, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my issue, you say that, that he had no one to help, but he yeah. was a Methodist pastor, so he should have had all kinds of people in the congregation to help that's true. And I mean, to a certain extent, you would say, yes, you know, Christians are supposed to be able to help and reach out to each other and stuff. But sometimes in this country, and I, I was brought up a Methodist as well, there can be a lot of judgment and a lot of ostracizing of people. Um, so I can understand his reticence. But at the same time, that is also like, oh, I didn't want to reach out in case I was ostracized. That is an excuse. If you know you are that bad, you reach out to anyone. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, uh, I... I understand the the ostracized thing, and I understand why. Like, I mean, it's the same thing for um, maybe people that are like into other things, or sure. they, like they, you just you, you don't know who you can confide in a lot of the times. Exactly. But as the leader of a congregation, you oh, yeah. should be able to identify which members you might be able to discuss things with. I would agree with that, and actually, even people at the top, they need to be able to talk. And it, this isn't like. Oh, it's the 70s and 80s. You do not talk about your problems or your your pressures of your job or your mental health issues. Like this is 2013. You know, this, people talked about stress all the time back then. And there were counseling services you could get free on the NHS in this country. And the waiting lists were not that long. You could see a counselor within five weeks as soon as you applied. And you didn't have to pay a goddamn thing. And you got 12 of those sessions free every single year. So I don't buy that. And also he's earning enough money that he maybe he stops buying cat for one week and sees a counselor, you know? So, you know, maybe he sees a counselor and uses some of that ketamine the way it's supposed to be used. Yes. Calm down. <laughs> maybe give it to some horses who really need it. They've got such a low <laughs> supply of ketamine these days because everybody else has been taking it from them. Um, uh, so, yeah, I just, it's, it's such a difficult one. I, I'm going to ask you for a score, but I, I have an element of sympathy for this guy because he did do some good, but the bad man, it was a lot. I'm a, I'm a big, like I dislike self victimization oh, yeah. to get out yeah. of doing bad things. I mean, I guess maybe I do it. I, I know for a fact I was not the greatest human being for a good chunk of my life. And yeah, me too. My twenties, I was awful. It, I, you can change. And yeah, if and you people own that you were shitty mm. and make the adjustments to change, rather than saying, "Well, I had a hard job, so that's why I, I <laughs> yeah, I was lonely, so that's why." So that yeah. gives him more points. But I do have a lot yeah. of sympathy because once you get out of control, it's oh yeah, somebody should have helped the bastard. You've yeah. noticed that in people I, around you. Exactly, yeah. And the, the interesting thing, I looked into this. There's nothing about his personal life. I never find, like, an interview with a wife or, like, a partner or anything like that or, like, parents or anything. Like, I... The loneliness thing, I mean, that, yeah, you know, you don't go to Rent Boys when you're lonely. But, like, he does seem like he's quite isolated. So, yeah. you know, if you have someone to go home to, who's like, oh man, are you sure you're okay? You don't look so good. Or like, are you, you know, you seem tense. There's something wrong. People pick up on these things when you live with them all the time. And I don't think he had that. And I think that's a big problem. 
and and I mean, if he's seeing rent boys and he's in government and things, that's something that yeah. that they feel. That, I mean, as a society, we need to be way more accepting so people don't need oh, yeah. to hide and self-medicate. Absolutely. They feel like they're going to be bullied or whatever. Yeah. If he was gay, if he'd just come out as gay, potentially, you know, at a younger age, maybe, if that was the situation, maybe a lot of this could have been avoided with the self, like you say, the self-medication. But I don't know, like Methodist minister born in the 50s. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. Is a man of that generation, you know, he's a baby boomer. So like there are certain still a lot of stigma even after these people came of age in the 80s. So, you know, and it's, tough, it's tough. Just because I feel bad because addiction sucks and it can yeah. get way out of control. And once you're out of control, you're fucked. So yeah, yeah. It, it takes a lot to, to come back. I'm yeah. going to not score him as high. Yeah. Good Lord, this guy just. I know so again much. And again and again. And I just couldn't. Cool. Just scandal after scandal. No. Uh, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go like seventy-eight. That's a, I think a high C. Yeah, he's not a high C. R. Um, sorry. <laughs> every every time I hear a high C, I think about pirate. Um, so uh, yeah, I, it's it's such a difficult one because. You know, when you have been around addiction or know someone who's been part of addiction, you know that it's not, it's never a, as clear cut as like good and bad and stuff. You know, there's so much going on and the, and the treating of addiction is, is a decades long process. But there were like the money, the fine, like taking possibly dodgy, like, taking money from a charity, like causing a massive hole in a cooperative bank to the yeah. tune of like over two billion pounds, like nearly two and a half billion dollars dollars that's like not chump change that's a lot so, of meth and special k that's a lot of meth and special k how is he still alive that's keith richards times a million right right there, that kind of money um so yeah I, i'm happy with 78 i mean it, it's it's kind of a dark thing but i feel like the things that have come after paul flowers there's a lot more regulation over who can be like a chairman of a bank and, and there's also you know we live in a society now that is far more accepting of people who are like i am struggling please help me you know we've got things like um easy to access facilities commercial uh help treatment for people who are in higher possible jobs better corporate uh conditions yeah. over the last 10 15 years and just like uh, staff helplines and stuff like yeah. that with every organization so Heck, i don't know if you have it here but uh they they get a thing that you hear on a lot of podcasts that maybe maybe they'll hear it on this podcast I and then like that company will want to sponsor us i would love it's that Be better better help, better help. Yeah, yeah you guys have that there yeah we um better help had, had a little bit of a rocky road at the start because there were the early days of the company and things weren't going right but I think that the world has wanted something like a better help for a very long time. So that's something that you can just be like, Hey, I've got X amount of time, X amount of money. Can I see somebody now? Yes. Let's talk. We have a thing over in this country called the Samaritans. So if you are suicidal, you call them and they listen, like they don't offer any advice, but they literally just listen to you. And they just like, let you know that you're loved and stuff like that. Right. It's not religious or anything. You can call this line 24 hours a day. Someone will listen and I, I like I, I like stuff like that. We also have a, a kids version called Childline, which actually does help. Like if children are in 
like serious danger and stuff like that. So like there are phone lines out there for people like that, but I feel like it would be extremely drastic for him to have called the Samaritans in this situation. What he needed was an intervention. What he needed was psychological help for a number of years to not be a chairman of a very big bank, to maybe go and live in a facility that could maybe help him on a semi-permanent basis, maybe on a non-residence basis. We can come by and do workshops and you know, just work on himself. And that, that's the kind of intervention that not a lot of people get, even at the very top. So it is sad, but man, he did some shit. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah he, he did. did. <clears throat> um, on a side yeah. note, have you ever heard of Lord Buckethead? Yes, I actually, uh, I've had chats with Lord Buckethead. If you are, I, I recommend anybody out there, if you've ever, ever interested in stupid political stuff, we've got a, a big a tradition in this country uh for political parties that are set up deliberately to take the mick and actually run in elections there was a, a com a, an organization in the 70s and 80s called the monster raving loony party <laughs> which was uh rule uh, kind of um ruled or governed by screaming lord such um <laughs> whose policy his main government policy for a long time was that it was going to put crocodiles in the river thames that was like <laughs> Like, that's what I want to do. I just want to put crocodiles in the Thames. Why? I don't know. It's funny. Um, so, and then the kind of the more modern version of that is Lord Buckethead, who basically looks like Darth Vader, only with a giant bin bucket on his head. Um, he, he got more votes in a by-election than a Tory MP and dabbed like that. It was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Like They, nice. they do the announcements of like, Lord Buckethead, independent, 3,470 and just boom. Like that straight okay, away. let's see if this works. I pulled up a picture. Are you going to show us Lord Buckethead? I don't know how to work with this. The oh, I think uh, if you just show a slide or you can show your here, screen. Here, I'll share my screen. This is what Go I got here. Lord Buckethead scene right there. Are you seeing me? No. 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 Yeah. Oh, I'm sharing the wrong screen. That's why. Ah, multiple here. screens. The problems of the bridge. Jeez. Oh, that's not it. All right, put it over here. And then share that screen. Yeah. Boy. It's so difficult working stream. Oh, there we go. Right. Ah, there he is. Yes. Lord Buckethead. Yeah. Yeah. That gentleman there. And then oh, there's one of him so dabbing. I've, yeah, there he is dabbing. Dabbing on them haters. Ugh. There he is. Uh Elmer Fishfinger for British, British election. God bless him. I've had a chat with Lord Buckethead. He is he's he's actually quite old. No offense, mate, but um he's he's lovely. He's a lovely guy. God bless you, Lord Buckethead. You make <laughs> politics interesting in this godforsaken wasteland of a political jungle. Uh yeah, so there we go. So we've had David Koresh, who scored extremely highly on 94, and Paul Flowers, who got a 78, but man, that was a wild fucking ride. Um, yeah, thank you so much for everybody who's listening. I had a lot of fun researching Paul Flowers. I'd been kind of thinking about doing him for a while and I knew some of it. And then I researched and I was like, oh yeah, I have to do this guy. That's like everything you can possibly have go wrong in your life. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, and what about you? How did you find the David Koresh thing? Because obviously it's like a cult thing. There's always interest in cults and stuff, but it was a dark time in American history that. What wandered me onto it is again, I was rewatching uh, Indivisible Healing Hate with Mandy Patinkin. Um, I think it's oh, on yeah. Paramount Plus. And it was kind of going through the different right wing uh, extremists, far right. And they Bye. went through um, McVeigh, which brought me back to Waco, which made me want to relook at it because as a younger man, I was kind of 
more anti-government, libertarian, sure. pro-gun. Mm. I was really mad about the uh, Ruby Ridge and Waco. Yeah, I mean, I was. And I'm a socialist, you know? So I think it, any amount of over... It felt like bullying to me, yeah. to yep. be honest. And that's what I didn't like about it. Like, I people from all uh, different political leanings. You could be angry about a government abusing their position and killing people, but to then use it as a justification for bombing a fucking government yeah. building like that's a step too far. It's the same bit. thing with like the January 6th. I've been really yeah. kind of just diving in and paying attention to all of it. And mm. I'm, I'm so nuts that when like the Ukraine thing happened, I was reading toss and I was yep. reading uh, RT and I was reading uh, CNN and Fox. And, and it's like, Jesus, I don't yeah. know what's real anymore. I know, I know. I can, I, I, I mean, it's, it's very. I mean, everyone, RT today will say, "Oh, but you, you know, why would you not trust us? And you'll trust the people who are owned by billionaires, and oh, they've got their own agenda." I just don't trust Russia today. So I just don't know any billionaires that uh, own media companies that are blowing up civilians. Yeah, exactly. So you know, there's that in the Times <laughs> and the Sun's favor. You haven't murdered anyone recently, so yeah. Um, <laughs> You might be that scared, we know of killed anyone that we know of. Uh, yeah, so I get that. Like you, the rabbit hole thing. When you're researching a topic, it's one of the best things. It's one of the best ways to get really into a subject. And if people out there, I don't know if you're ever launching. If anyone hears this and they're thinking of launching a podcast, one of the great joys of launching a podcast like the one that we do is like going down the rabbit hole of research because you 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 thrill yourself with what you discover and then taking that information and putting it in your own voice to express to other people. It's a real thrill for me to be able to do this for you guys. And I'm sure Derek feels Is the same as well. Cathartic even. Yeah, I would say so. Like the communication of the feeling that you have from this historic information and like bringing something new into somebody else's life. I, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, I don't think I miss my calling as a teacher. I have no patience. I'd have, I'd have screamed at those children. I would I have been, to God. They would have hated me here because I would have, have just been like, me. hey, let me show you all the sides and then you figure out what happened for real. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here to teach. I'm just here to give you an open book. I'm giving uh, you information. Yeah. You yeah, learn exactly. from it what you will. Whereas I would have been like, shut the fuck up. Just, oh yeah, that too. I'd, I'd lost it. I'd lost they would have kicked no me out a long time ago for dropping oh, yeah. f bombs and everything else. Oh I, yeah, I have a British habit of using the c word a lot because yeah. Scottish friends that use it every other word. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? That was never a thing when I was a teenager or a kid. Nobody, you were not saying that word. No, it's terrible. You did not say that word. But now it's like it's part of everyday conversation when you're ordering a burger on online or something. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> this has been a really fun episode. We've kind of gone a little bit off track. Um, I've had a lot of fun. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for dropping by. If you'd like to follow us on our social medias, we are at Greatest Idiots on Twitter. We are at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram. You can go to patreon.com slash History's Greatest Idiots and support us financially so that me and Derek can afford to buy new shoes or baby's milk money or something that we need. Do it. Uh, do it please we, we need money it's so hot everywhere we need we need more fans he uh, needs a window ac nothing. over there i need an ac in my bedroom so that i don't have to cry myself to sleep with with sweaty tears um <laughs> so thank you so much to everybody derek would you like to say goodbye please uh thanks everybody for listening this is super awesome and uh yeah. tell your friends about us 
do we're getting we're getting i just want to say we passed thirteen thousand all-time listeners we're getting 1500 listeners a month now i absolutely love it thank you guys so much stick with us we are not stopping anytime soon i have had so much fun and we will see you again in a couple of weeks take care now toasterzoid enjoy yourself bye bye now